Lord willing, we'll try to cover verses 22 and 23 tonight. Let me read them to you. I tell you what, let me, let me, read, let me start reading at verse 19 and read through to um, 23. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will that, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? Here we go. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. <laughs> last week, um, we looked at verses 20 and 21, and I, I made the statement last week that, that um, verses 20 and 21 contained some hard truths, but they weren't hard to understand. They, they were difficult subjects, but they, I mean, they, they were clear once you read them. Um, but you, in verses 22 and 23, the, uh, the truths that are contained in verses 20, or 22 and 23 are not as hard as what was found in 21 and 2021, but they're harder to understand. I mean, it's harder to... It's harder to grapple with uh, these two verses, and, and, I, and I'll explain why in just a moment. Um, but just know that these, these, are, not, these are not easy. Um, and they're, they're not easy because there are several grammatical issues at stake. And, and I, 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 I want to say wrestled, but that's a little bit of an overstatement. I, I gave it some thought as to whether I should even bring this up tonight, uh, whether I should even mention what I'm about to mention. So let me, let me just do this. If any of you need a quick nap, this would be a great time to take one. And I'll come back and get you in about 10 minutes and, uh, and get you back in here. But, but um, what I, so I've just decided to let you know this is, this, is, uh, this is for one or two of you that really like to know stuff like this. The rest of you would rather know how to hack it on Monday morning. And, uh, but um, for, for a couple of you, this... You'll groove on this. There are several, there are, there are a couple of three grammatical issues in these two verses. For instance, the first one is, if in your translations, verse 22 begins with what? Well, guys, that word is not in the Greek text. There is no what in the Greek text. Um, if you've got an NIV, verse 23 begins with a what if. Those words don't exist in the Greek text. Those are supplied to you by the translators in an effort to make this understandable because they, to their credit, uh, realize that this is, is not easy. So they're, they're putting some words in there to help you understand, but they're not there. Um, verse 22 starts with a condition. It starts with an if. Um, and what follows is known grammatically as an anakaluthon. Anakaluthon. I think that's right. Anakaluthon. Anakaluthon. You know what that is? 
Uh, that's an English word, by the way. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with a Greek, or any, but it's, a, it's an English word that has to do with a, a lack of grammatical sequence. Here's the point. Normally, when we start a sentence with if, we find a comma and then a then. If you go to Florida, then you will get a tan. You know, it's an if-then. That's normally how the English language functions. Paul gives you the conditional part of the sentence and then doesn't complete it. He gives you the if part, but then he does not. It is an anakiluthon because... It is, it is lacking grammatical sequence. The other half of it is not here. <laughs> you have to supply it interpretively. And I'm going to do that in a minute. But, but guys, that's what makes this difficult. If you read it and you wonder, what did I just read? Well, it's hard. I'm just telling you because the Apostle Paul uh, saw fit under the inspiration of the Spirit to... Um, to leave out the then part. Now, um, th- that's just the first grammatical problem. But let me let me let me try to supply some kind of interpretive comment, guys. In the present context, which uh, look at verse twenty. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? All right. With that in mind, with that kind of establishing the context, I want to suggest to you. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If God has done this, the this meaning he's shown mercy to some and and withheld mercy from others, if God has done this, what can man reply against that? What objection can you possibly have to that? Now, guys, that's what I think he's saying here. But I want you to know the last half of that I supplied. It's not in the text. Um, If God has done this, then what can you possibly say against it? Oh, uh, who are you to answer back to God, man? I'm suggesting that that's what the Apostle Paul has in mind here. But I I want to point out very clearly that the the second half of what I said is not supplied by the text. It's supplied by an interpretive comment by me or or by others as well. But all right. So uh, that gives you a sense of what we'll come back to in a minute. But that's the first grammatical problem. The second grammatical problem has to do with the word um, in verse 22, uh, what if God desiring? Now, my translation says desiring. Your translation might say willing. The NIV says choosing. And um, um, (laughs) I want to suggest to you that none of those words is the best. Um, it's the best rendering of the Greek, Greek verb, of the Greek participle. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says the best word would be disposed. I want to suggest to you that the, the word should, is, is clearer, inclined. That is, what if God inclined or disposed? Um, this, this, you can see the translators wrestling with the Greek word, because the NIV has choosing, my translation has desiring, you have willing. They're trying to come up with a, a, a reasonable English word that will convey the sense. And I'm suggesting to you that the one that, that, makes, that does me the best is the word inclined. 
If God, by the way, it doesn't start with what, it starts with if. If God inclined to show his wrath or disposed to show his wrath, if God is inclined to display his wrath against sin, that's, that's what you've got there that in terms of the words. Now, then the third grammatical problem has to do with the difficulty over the word prepared. Uh, if God, inclined to show his wrath to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared. That's another difficulty, folks. Um, the King James uses the word fitted. Fitted for wrath. The reason that it's a difficulty is because it's in the passive. I know you know. I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna just enjoy your little nap. I'm coming to get you in a second. But um, it's a passive verb. There's got to be a have been since in there. That is, have been fitted or have been prepared. I, I, I'm gonna, I want to give you kind of a loose, a rather loose rendering of, of the language, but I think it's one that really captures the idea. And it, it would be this. Having been made ripe for destruction. That is, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, having been made ripe for destruction. Now, uh, man, because of his long-term rebellion, is ripe for, dis uh, for destruction. Now, those, those are just to clear out of the way some of the, 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 uh, the grammatical difficulties in the text. This is, uh, I told you that the, the, the central motif of this text is, is, a, is a wonderful truth. But getting it is rather difficult because of the, um, the difficulties found in the grammar. All right, now, wake up. Come back. Uh, get back in. It's time to come to the central motif, the central message of these two verses. Um, and here is what I want to, I mean, this is what I want to do with the rest of our time to explain that. The central message, the thing that Paul is saying in the verses 22 and 23. Here we go. Gang, though God would have been fully justified in the destruction of all of humanity, all of mankind, and doing so immediately, he didn't do that. What did he do? Well, the text tells you. He endured. If God inclined to show his wrath, to make known to his, that is, his intention, his drift, his desire is to show wrath. And he would have been fully justified to have done that immediately upon the fall. But he didn't do that. What did he do? We're told he has endured with much patience. Vessels of wrath, ripe, having been made ripe for destruction. Now, guys, um, that, that language, uh, he endured with patience, um, has endured. That is so interesting uh, because it's like, it's like the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you the incredible thing that God has done. Because he uses two words, the Greek word pharaoh, which means to, uh, to, to bear or to endure. And the other one, um, patience, um, 
is makrothumia, another Greek word, and it's, and it's in essence what he said is he has endured with great endurance. That is, that what Paul is trying to underscore is the marvel of what God has done. He has, he has not done what he would have been fully justified in having done. What did he do then? Oh, he endured with great endurance. In fact, the, the word that's translated patience in my, in my um, translation is the word macrothemia. You know what macro is? It's, it's putting a, it's putting a, 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 pre, a, a uh, not a preposition, a, a, pref, a prefix on a word, just making it bigger. Thumia is a word that means passion, even anger. Thumas is the word that means anger. But he has endured with passion, macro passion. <laughs> it's like he endured with passion and macro passion. That's what Paul's trying to communicate to us. He would have been, if God had been, was inclined to demonstrate his wrath, which would show his glory and his power, he would have been perfectly just to have done so. But he didn't. What did he do? He endured. He endured with macro passion, with macro endurance. It's like Paul could have said he endured things, but he endured with macrothumia. He endured not with thumia. He endured with macrothumia. That's the emphasis that the Apostle Paul is trying to make with you, guys. The marvel of having seen and watched God endure with vessels that had been made ripe for destruction. Now, guys, I, I want to I do two things as we close. I just pointed out that God endured. Why? why? Why does he not arise and simply destroy his enemies? And that's what I want to concentrate on as we close. But there's something else you need to see. Why is this an important question? Why has not God simply said, I've had a gut full of this, and watch this. That is, it's important to understand why he doesn't do this for a couple of reasons. The first reason is... Christians often ask that question. Guys, keep your finger there. See if you can find the book of Habakkuk. That's pretty hard to find. Um, it's in the Old Testament. It's in one of the minor prophets. It's after Jonah. See if you can find that real quick. Because I want to show you something. Do you know that anything about the, the book of Habakkuk? Habakkuk is the prophet who says, you know, he's the one that uh, says the just shall live by faith. And he's the one that told, is told by God that the Chaldeans are going to judge Israel and he doesn't understand it. But you need to look at and see how this book opens. The, 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 the prophet says in verse 2, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Um, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Now look at these two verses, guys. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Look and listen. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. Why, God? Why do the wicked surround the righteous? 
so that justice goes forth perverted. Oh, guys, have you ever asked that? I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I have. Aren't you sick of listening to scholars on NPR that get up and talk about the, the religious zealots are the, are the reason for the, for the great problems in the world? Do you know why we've got such problems in the world? It's because of fundamentalism like you. Aren't you tired of hearing you idiots couldn't possibly believe in something like creation, could you? Aren't you tired of hearing that? Aren't you tired of somebody saying, you know, um, those Christians are bigoted, they're, they're, they're ignorant, and, and they're easily led. That was said in the Washington Post. God, why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are all around me and the law is paralyzed. We have this law, thou shalt not commit adultery, and people say, you don't believe that anymore, do you? I mean, what's a little adultery among Christian friends? The law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. Haven't you had it? Habakkuk has. And I have too. Why don't you just judge evil, God? Give us a break. Burn some of it up, God. Why, why don't you do that? But guys, I, gotta, I could go on for the rest of the night because it is a question that, that bounces around in my little skull from time to time. But Christians are not the only ones that ask that question. You want to know who else asks the question? <laughs> Non-Christians. If you can find Second Peter 3 real quick. Second Peter 3, you know this passage. You may not know where it is found, but it's in Second Peter 3. Um, it starts in verse 3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. This is, first, this is 2 Peter 3, verse 3. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, <laughs> oh, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were since the beginning of creation. You preachers have been saying for years that God is going to judge sin. Ha, ha, ha. They've been saying that since the first century. And here it is, the 21st century. And God hasn't done nothing. And what's the matter with you people? God, there is no God. If there were a God and He was as holy as you says He was is, then he'd judge evil. Ha, ha, ha. There ain't no God. That's why this question is important, guys. You know, Christians ask, why did the evil, why did the wicked prosper? But that's not the question before us tonight. It's not why do wicked men prosper. It's why, why won't God judge wickedness? 
Why does God tolerate evil for so long? Why doesn't He stretch forth His arm? And if you go a whole lifetime and you never see Him ever stretch forth His arm, you begin to wonder. Hmm. I wonder if those skeptics are right. I've never seen him go do that. Now guys, that's what is answered in Romans 9, 22 and 23. You're given an answer to that question. Why does God not... Do you know why? Because He chose to endure with great endurance. It's called long-suffering, guys. That's the word that the King James uses. And let me read it to you. Don't, don't turn it because we, we're running out of time. But uh, let me just read you this. This is found a couple of places, particularly in the book of Ezekiel. But listen to this. This is Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. You can write it down. He says, um, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and so He's chosen to endure with a great endurance. But you must understand, guys, just because God has chosen to endure, that by itself doesn't save anybody. It is God's saving intervention in in the lives of individuals that saves. And Romans 9 tells us that He has not chosen to save everyone. He didn't destroy Pharaoh immediately. But His long-suffering in the case of Pharaoh didn't change Pharaoh. It just gave opportunity for the great beauties of God's long-suffering to be displayed. Guys, verse 22 is telling you that God, God's whole urge is to punish sin. But that He has chosen to hold back so that He might display patience. Something about God that you would have never seen had He not displayed it. Let me give you another reason why why God has chosen to to endure. Because, guys, the second reason, the first reason is He's chosen to long suffer or to suffer long. The, The second reason is that at the same time that He is displaying patience, He is also rendering unbelief inexcusable. Guys, have you ever wondered why the Old Testament period was so long? Most people would say it's 4,000 years at minimum. Um, you know, and man has always said, you know, we, we, can, we can handle this. We can, we can save ourselves. You see it in the garden, you know. It's okay, Eve. We'll just sew us up a couple of little things right here. We'll cover it up and it'll be fine. 
You see it in Babel. Let's just build ourselves a little staircase to heaven, y'all. What do y'all say? Let's make a name for ourselves. Man, have, man has always said, we, we'll be able to handle this if you just give us the chance. So God told him what he was to do. And that he stepped back and endured. Had he destroyed vessels of wrath immediately, men would have said perhaps, well, I mean, you didn't give us enough time. <laughs> I mean, you only gave us a year. If you'd have given us ten years, but if you'd have given him ten years, hey, well, you know, we needed a hundred years. We just need to keep on evolving upward. Guys, have you ever read anything from the philosophers of the late 19th century? Have you ever read any things that, that these guys were saying at the end of the night, the, the late 1800s, and how everything was moving in the right direction and men were, were becoming uh, the, the global community and, and everything was going to be fine and yada, yada, yada. And then World War I. And they said, oops, oops, we've had just a little, just a little slip up here, but we're getting them back on track. We'll be all right because we'll do, we'll do fine, you know, because man is evolving up to, you know, perfection. So, okay, war's over. Let's get back on track. And then World War II. And you know what, folks? Nobody's saying that anymore. None of the philosophers are saying, none of the philosophers have any optimism about man whatsoever like they had at the end of the 19th century. The, the reigning philosophies of the day now are nihilism. Nihilism, which means all is nothing. There's no meaning in anything. So just give us ten years, we'll work this out. Give us a hundred years, we'll work this out. Give us a thousand years, we'll work this out. So God gave four thousand. And Greece and Rome and all of its wisdom and all of its philosophers and, and every other civilization combined with Greece and Rome had exhausted themselves and ended up in utter failure. And so God sent forth His Son. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is the, um, the great tragedy. The very attribute intended to display God's goodness is long-suffering. Has become the platform for scoffing. You've been saying that for 2,100 years that God's going to... I don't see any... This, this, this period where God has chosen... Not to exercise, not to give vent to his own inclinations, but to endure with a very great endurance, has now become the cause and the platform for scoffing. These days of grace and mercy have been used to scoff. God allows them to scoff. To demonstrate a very great endurance, a long-suffering patience, and to render mankind 
excuses. That's what's in these verses. If God, inclined to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels that have been made ready for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand in glory. Um, This period of His endurance is to be a display of the riches of His glory for those of us that He has shown mercy to. But at the same time, it renders guilty men more guilty. The day of God's patience is the day of God's grace. But He will not be patient forever. Our Father, um, we do see and understand a bit more about the answers to our own questions. Why don't you judge evil? Why is it that the law goes perverted and justice is never done? Why is it that the righteous are surrounded by perversions? Why is it that, that you will not at this point and have not at this point chosen to display your glory by displaying your wrath. You've told us, Father. And we thank you that you have displayed great long suffering with with mankind and that you have shown displayed great long suffering with each of us. And so, Father, um, might this time of of bearing up under the culture of scoffers, might for us at least it be a time where we see the great patience of the God who made us and found a way to save us in the sufferings and work of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks and good night.